You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Hey, before we uh, jump in this morning, I just want to say, Trent and worship team, thanks for leading us just so incredibly well this morning in worship. Can we just thank them? Um, It is, uh, it's fun to come here to to New Life. It is no uh, mystery to me why the church is growing with, with just the leadership that's happening here, Brad and Sam and Trent and uh, Trish and so many others. And so I was just here a few weeks ago um, with you guys, but I feel like it's been since last year since I saw you. So uh, that's a terrible joke. I'm so sorry. But I like the joke. I'm going to tell it again at the 11 o'clock service. I just am. I I just know I'm going to. Uh, I love that I get to be here, and we're in week number two of this series, looking at the life of Joseph, who is one of the major characters in the Old Testament. And so I, I want to make a statement here right as we begin this morning, and then I think I'm going to spend the rest of this message looking at the story of Joseph and trying to convince you that this is absolutely true. So here's the statement, if you want to go ahead, Hannah, on the screen. The statement is, we measure our lives based on the public moments, the moments that everybody sees, but I would tell you God measures our lives based on the private moments. We tend to measure our lives based on the public moments, but God, what God values, what he measures are the private moments of our lives that nobody but him sees. Think about your family. We measure our families by the public moments, you know, uh, weddings, anniversaries, births, graduations, or on the negative side, you know, deaths or, or divorces. That's how we measure our families and how our families are doing. We measure our careers, our jobs based on the public moments, promotions, raises, uh, awards that we win, or, you know, on the negative side, getting fired. That, but, but I would tell you, your best moments, your best moments in your life, nobody but God will ever see. Nobody but God is tracking or paying attention. And those are the moments that matter the most. Think about a marathon. Uh, you know, if you have ever gone to a marathon at the finish line, people will gather at a marathon and they will cheer and they'll clap and they'll take pictures of people as they cross that finish line. But what makes a marathon, what makes the finish line of a marathon so meaningful is the 26.2 miles, right, that the person, that people ran. And not only that, but the countless hours of training, you know, the mornings where you'd rather just sleep in, but you set your alarm and you get up to go run to put in the discipline. That's what people are actually celebrating at the finish line is all those unseen moments that led up to that finish line. Nobody celebrates the guy, I actually did this once, who who drives to the event, gets out of their car, goes to the finish line, and takes a selfie at the finish line, tries to pretend on on Facebook that they ran a marathon. Nobody bought it when I did that. (laughs) Nobody celebrates that. Uh, Anniversaries. The the greater the number, we we celebrate uh, because of the years that were put in. Uh, to get to that number, this, this summer, I will have been married 25 years, which is awesome. And you cheer for that. But if I were to say I've been married 25 years to seven different women, it'd be like, oh, oh, it's not like we don't, we don't celebrate that, do we? 
There, there's something about the, those long years of faithful, the long obedience in one direction, like one author de- defines it. The, those moments of obscurity, those private moments that nobody else sees, that's what really makes up our lives. And so as we look at the story of Joseph today, where we're going this morning, um, the question that we're wrestling with is the question, who am I in the private moments of life? Who am I in the private moments? Your best moments, nobody but God will ever see. And, and I would tell you this, if, you're in a, if 2023 is beginning for you in a place where maybe you're trying to pick up the pieces of, of a dream that's broken, maybe you find yourself in a tough place in life, maybe you're kind of wondering, God, you know, what are you up to? Why, why are things not working out the way I wanted I would tell you this, God always begins the process of rebuilding a life and rebuilding our dreams in the private moments. That's where he begins. It's not in the big, shiny, spotlight, public moments that everybody sees. It's in those private moments between you and him. That's where God begins the process of rebuilding our lives, rebuilding our dreams, and giving us a hope for the future. That's where it starts. So we're jumping in. We're, where we're going to be this morning is Genesis chapter 39. If you were here last week, Brad did an awesome job starting us out. Uh, the story of Joseph actually takes up you know, most of the last several chapters of the book of Genesis. Joseph is the second youngest of 12 brothers of his father Israel, Jacob. And so uh, J- Jacob uh, has Joseph as his favored son. He gives him a coat of many colors, kind of showing his identity as his favored son. And what happens is Joseph's brothers, because they're so jealous of the dreams that God apparently seems to have for Joseph's life, they, they, out of jealousy, they basically strip him of his cloak, they cast him in a pit, and then they sell him into slavery by these Ishmaelite traders. And so suddenly Joseph finds himself waking up in Egypt as a slave. His, his entire life has been rearranged, and that's where we're going to pick up the story this morning. Genesis 39.1 says, When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders... He was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Now, Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now, what's interesting, you know, is captain of the guard, that term is used a couple other places in the Bible. And whenever it's used, it's used as the highest title that's given to any military leader. Okay, so this guy, Potiphar, captain of the guard, he was a high-ranking military officer very close to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He's probably like the captain of the secret police, that kind of idea, or maybe in charge of an entire branch of military. If you you think about it like the way we talk about it today, he's a big deal. And Joseph finds himself, he's a slave, but he finds himself in Potiphar's house, this person of great influence. The next verse says, the Lord was with Joseph. I want you to remember that phrase. Throughout this entire series, over the next few weeks, you're going to see that phrase come up again and again and again. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. So we just pause there just for a second. Before we go to the next sentence, if you were to look at Joseph's life, a snapshot of it right here at this moment, 
Everything is going up and to the right. All the public moments are going well, aren't they? I mean, this is a life that we dream of, right? Yeah. I mean, not only are things happening, but they're happening quick. He's going from being a slave to he's in charge of Potiphar's entire household. He's rising through the ranks. He's getting promoted. As far as what everybody can see, those public moments, Joseph's doing great. I mean, I mean we dream about having the kind of life that Joseph has. What's about to happen is we're about to find out who Joseph is in the private moments of life. That You can see it there. This very next verse says, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built man, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. Now, what you have to understand about in this moment, uh, this invitation, Potiphar's wife would have been a very, very beautiful woman. Okay, so a person like Potiphar with that kind of status would have been given only the most beautiful woman in the land as his wife. She would have been an absolutely drop-dead gorgeous woman that for a young man, this would have been a definite temptation. But the part that we don't automatically see is that there's also a power dynamic here in this relationship. Potiphar's wife is the person in Potiphar's house who has the ultimate authority after him. She's got all the power in the relationship. Joseph is a slave. Even though he's been put in charge of the house, he's still a slave in Potiphar's house. That's what he is. And so, you know, a lot of times we, we read this story. If you've read this story before or been around church at all, you, you've probably heard it. A lot of times we talk about, oh, this is a story about a woman seducing a man. And that's true. But it's also a story about a person in power using their position and their power to try to get sex from someone who has no power. And that happens all the time in our world, too. That happens to women in our world. That happens to all kinds of people at all kinds of stages of life. In fact, you can, you can actually even see, even in the language that's used here, the power dynamic. In our language, it's, you know, the way it's translated, come and sleep with me. It's like this invitation that she gives Joseph. But in the original language, it's almost funny. It's said as like a direct command. It's almost like, sex, now. That's like how she talks to him. It's this very demanding, very demeaning thing. So let's look at... Uh, who, who Joseph is, because this is, a, this is something that would have been so tempting to give into, tempting to say yes to. Uh, I mean, not only as a young man, but also with the power dynamic, there probably would have been no consequences. They, they could have had this private moment, Potiphar's wife and Joseph between the two of them, and because she was the person in power, nobody probably would have found out, or if they would, they would have looked the other way. There wouldn't have been the kind of consequences you think of. Next verse says, but Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. But she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way as much as possible. Time out. Just so you know, in, in another uh, passage, it lets us know that that time that Joseph was in Potiphar's house was 11 years. Just 11 years where he keeps refusing her. He keeps saying no. He keeps resisting. 11 years. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by the cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me. 
but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. Now, if you're keeping track here in this moment, if you're tra- keeping track in Joseph's life, if you were here last week and listened to the, the first part of this story, this is actually the second time now that this has happened to Joseph, isn't it? This is the second time now that Joseph has done nothing wrong. He's been completely innocent, and yet someone has taken his garment. Someone has stripped his cloak from him, and now he's going to be cast down and sent away. The first time, it was from his brothers, right, out of jealousy. And also, they had all the power in the relationship. He had done nothing wrong. They strip him of his coat that his father had given him, this this symbol of his identity as, as a loved son. And then he's thrown down in a pit and then sold as a slave, and in this moment, uh, the same thing, in a sense, is happening again. It's, it's a recurrence. You gotta, if, you're in, if you're Joseph, you're like, are you kidding me? We're going to go through this all again? After I worked so hard to get in this position? The difference between when Joseph's brothers did this to him and, and what's happening right here in, with Potiphar's wife is when Joseph's brothers did this, it was done in secret. It was done quietly in private. What's happening to Joseph right now by Potiphar's wife would have been a public moment. It would have been a spotlight moment. You get accused of raping the wife of a guy like Potiphar in Egypt? That's a scandal. That's a headline-worthy moment. Think uh, Larry Nasser. Think Harvey Weinstein. That's what this is. This is a public moment. Everybody would have known about it. Everybody would have been talking about it. It would have been humiliating. And the only people who know that Joseph is innocent is Joseph, Potiphar's wife, and God. That's it. Those are the only people who know that Joseph is actually innocent. So if you're Joseph, can you imagine how tempting it would be to just get bitter about this? How tempting it would be if you're Joseph to just sort of take this on, to become cynical, to become a victim to just take on this victim mentality and just be like, man, life's been so unfair to me. I just deserve to have whatever kind of terrible attitude I want to have to treat people however I want to treat them. And what you see is Joseph does not do that as, at all. What makes Joseph so amazing in this particular story is his response to the second time going through this as an innocent person. The way he responds to this experience is absolutely amazing. I'm going to fast forward a little bit of the story for you. Potiphar decides... To, to basically uh, take Joseph and to put him into prison. Now, what's interesting about that is that the middle Assyrian laws, which we know of that would have governed the area of this day, would have actually required a person to be executed if they were accused of rape, especially a man who was accused of rape of a, of a person like Potiphar's wife. But Joseph is not executed. He's put in a prison, but he's not just put in any prison. He's actually put in what's, what was kind of like a political prisoner prisoner. Uh, Place. It was a prison for uh, people who were, you know, somehow had, pol- had offended the political court of the day and had found themselves, you know, kind of on the outs with Pharaoh, one of those. And so Joseph is going to be put in a prison, not executed, and he's going to be put in prison with other people who are close to people of power, people of influence. So there, you know, scholars have debated all this, you know, well, why did Potiphar do that? You know, did Potiphar, did he just have mercy on Joseph? Like, did he just like Joseph and feel bad for the guy? And so he, he didn't execute him. He put him in this kind of prison that would have been a little more comfortable. Is that why he did it? Or, or did Potiphar do it because he somehow, maybe he didn't believe his own wife. Maybe he, maybe he suspected, like, maybe this isn't quite the truth. 
But, the, but who, however he, he ends up there, what you have to see in this moment is that God had arranged this situation for his purposes. This horrible situation that Joseph finds himself in. What we're going to see as the story unfolds, even more than just today, is that God placed Joseph in that place, in that moment, for the plans and the purposes that God had for Joseph's life. Here's all I want to ask you this morning as we think about that. If you want to go ahead to that next line on the screen, Hannah. Is it possible you have been placed where you are for God's purposes? Is it possible where you're sitting? And maybe you're sitting somewhere as we start 2023 that you don't want to be sitting. Maybe you didn't get here by your own choices. Uh, if you, even if you're watching that here online, maybe uh, you've had someone take advantage of you. Maybe you've had a situation that's been completely unfair. Maybe you find yourself, even today, in a situation where it would just be so easy to just get bitter and get cynical and just live with this edge and this anger. I want you to know where you're at, God still has purposes for your life. He's not done with you yet. If you're still alive, he's not done yet. And so this next part, I want you to pay very much, very close attention to these next few verses as we wrap up this passage, because this next part is for you, if that's you. Look at what it says in verse 21. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. I'm going to read that line again. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with Joseph and caused everything he did to succeed. I want to just camp out for a moment, if I could, on that phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. Let's just think about that for a second. Let's just sit there with that phrase. If you want to go ahead and just put that on the screen. The Lord was with Joseph. It doesn't say the Lord was with Joseph's plans, does it? Was it Joseph's plan to be in prison? Unfair? No, the Lord was not with Joseph's plans. It doesn't say the Lord was with Joseph's circumstances. It doesn't say the Lord was with Joseph's, even with his dreams. It says the Lord was with Joseph. The presence of God did not fail Joseph. Wherever he went, wherever he found himself, the Lord was still with Joseph. And the reason for that is because of who God is, not because of who Joseph was or because of who we are. The Lord is still with us, even in the prisons we find ourselves in, even in the places we find ourselves in, whether or not it was a prison of your own making or because you've been unfairly put there, the Lord cannot do anything else but be faithful to us because that's who he is. Amen. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't fail. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't leave us. Wherever we are, he does not give up on people. God is still with you. When the business partner took advantage of you, when God is still with you when you find yourself dealing with that unpayable debt because of medical bills. God is still with you when you were cheated on, even though you were faithful in the marriage. God is still with you when you find yourself facing all kinds of obstacles with your health. 
God is still with you. The dream for our lives is always possible when we choose to honor God in the process. When we, be, when we choose to believe in faith, God is still with me. He hasn't abandoned me. Even if the ending does not seem possible or redeemable, God's presence has not abandoned you. The same presence of God that goes with all the people of Israel all throughout the story, he's still with you. He still has purpose for your life. Will you trust him? Will you trust him in the process that you're in right now? If you want to go ahead and put that uh, picture up, how many of you know who this person is? Raise your hand or just call it out. Who is this? Nelson Mandela. What's remarkable, if you don't know who Nelson Mandela is, he was the president of South Africa during a very tumultuous time. And what's remarkable, really his legacy is that he spent 27 years in prison before he was released and became the president of South Africa. 27 years, he was put in prison falsely and wrongly, and he was held there against his will. And his great legacy is when he was finally released and he came to power, everybody expected him to do what? to take a revenge, to put his, the people who put him in prison, to exile them or to put them in prison, to get them back. And Nelson Mandela refused to take revenge. He refused to persecute those who had put him in prison. And God used him in a powerful way. He spoke race reconciliation into that time uh, coming out of apartheid in South Africa. God used him to bring peace, to bring healing to that nation. That famous quote uh, by him, you can go ahead to it, uh, this, this quote that everybody knows him from, he said, resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. Yep. You don't develop that kind of character, that kind of integrity, that kind of forgiveness, that kind of inner fortitude. You don't develop that in the public moments of life, in the spotlight, in power. You develop that in 27 years in prison. Slowly, allowing God to work on you, allowing God to work on your heart. That's how that gets shaped. That's how that gets developed. It's not the public moments that everybody sees where God wants to begin rebuilding your life and rebuilding the dreams for your life are the private moments, the moments where you're tempted to despair, you're tempted to give up, you're tempted to get bitter, to hold on to unforgiveness and cynicism, that's where God wants to begin moving in your life. This is the main idea, the main takeaway. If you get nothing else, you can go ahead and put that up on the screen. Everything that, as we look at this story today, kind of boils down to this. A life of honor is built slowly in obscurity, not quickly in the spotlight. A life of honor, the kind of life that God wants for us, the kind of life that God esteems, is built slowly in obscurity, not quickly in the spotlight where everybody sees. Now, you can become famous on TikTok, right? Like that overnight. But that isn't a life of honor, is it? You can uh, monetize your YouTube channel. That's what my boys are always trying to do. They think they're going to become like millionaires. Monetizing their YouTube channels. Watch, they'll do it someday and then prove me wrong. You can do that. But that isn't necessarily, that doesn't automatically equal a life of honor, does it? We see, we want, we, we want to know that things are working quickly. And we, so we say, you know, when things aren't working quickly, what we say is, well, that must not be working. 
And so what I got to do is I got to leave my job. I got to go find another job. Well, it's not working quickly. It must not be working. I'm going to leave my marriage, go find another relationship. I'm going to leave my church and go find another church. I'm going to give up on this person. I'm going to give up on this situation. I'm just going to move. I'm just going to whatever. That's what we do. And what we have to do is we have to come to this place where we realize God does not work like that. That's not how he operates. We have to be okay with God's timeline for our lives, for our dreams, for the dreams that he has for us. We have to be okay with his timeline. Sometimes you get put in a place that looks a whole lot like a prison and it's against your will, against your choice. And the question is, are you going to trust him? Are you going to allow him to be with you in that place because he's accomplishing his purposes for what he wants to do in your life. You got to be okay with his timeline. I live in a neighborhood where there are tons of oak trees. So every fall, especially all over the sidewalk, everywhere, there are these acorns that, that just drop and that are everywhere. And I was thinking about this the other day. You know, if you take an acorn, you look at like a, like a you know, cement pavement, like a sidewalk. If you take that acorn and you decide, I'm going to break apart this sidewalk. And so you take the acorn and you just throw it down on the sidewalk as hard as you can. Will it break the sidewalk? No. In fact, it'll break the acorn probably, right? It'll crack it open. The squirrels will be unhappy. But the amazing thing, if you think about it is, is, and I have evidence of this in my neighborhood, if you take that same acorn and you plant it right beside that sidewalk in the ground, slowly, Almost imperceptibly, over decades of time, a tree will grow up that'll be so significant and so powerful, it'll unearth and crack and break apart the concrete. But if you could, just let that be a picture for you this morning of spiritual growth. This is, this is how spiritual growth happens. It's not, the way, it's not the way the world values or esteems growth. It's slowly, what happens is the gospel, just like that acorn, the gospel is planted in our lives. We come to this place in our lives where we realize that Jesus is who he says he is, that he came to offer the salvation he came to offer, that he has paid the price ultimately for our sins. And that, that truth gets planted in our lives. We surrender our lives to him. And just like that acorn, slowly, in obscurity, over a period of time, it grows and it begins to take over every single other thing in our lives. And it has the power to break apart sin addiction, unforgiveness, the hardest hearts, slowly. And what's so powerful about the story of Joseph, you kind of wonder, like, why is Joseph in the Bible? Like, why is his story even in the Bible? It's because Joseph's story points toward the person of Jesus. God used Joseph to set up the rescue and redemption from Egypt, and then through God's people eventually came Jesus, the rescue and redemption for sin for salvation for us all. And Joseph is, is what's known in, you know, as a type of Christ. He's an he's a, a, a individual that points us to who the person of Jesus is. Jesus was the ultimate innocent prisoner who was cast down, who was stripped of his, of his cloak, his divinity and sent. Uh, he was 100% God and 100% uh, man. He lived a human life. He died on the cross sacrificially in our place. And when we invite him into our lives, just like that acorn being planted, we become inheritors of the dream of eternal life. Amen. And that's what Jesus is doing in our world. And so I want to kind of land this morning by talking about who are we in private. That's, that's the question, right? A life of honor is built slowly in obscurity, not quickly in the spotlight. And so we have to talk at some point about our habits. What are our habits? This time of year, January, right? 
We, we think about our habits. Who are we in private? What kind of life are we building when nobody's watching, nobody's seeing? And so just a couple questions as you look at yourself this morning. What habit in your private life is eroding the kind of person you are becoming? Is there a habit? Nobody sees it. It's not in the spotlight. Is, it, is, your, is your drinking slowly getting more and more out of control? Is, is a website that you're visiting becoming more and more and more frequent? Is a relationship in your life getting more and more and more intimate? Is there a habit somewhere that you know? It's, it hasn't blown up yet. You're still, you're still up here. You're okay. But it's slowly underneath the surface eroding the kind of character, the kind of person that you know is going to lead to some kind of a, of a blow up. Do you need to deal with that? God cares. God measures our lives way more by the private moments than the public. The second question is the, kind of the inverse of that. What one habit in your private life would make the dream possible? It's 2023. Beginning, you know, what one habit, if you started today, like that acorn slowly growing over time, would absolutely change the trajectory of your family and your future? Maybe it's just something as simple as reading your Bible every day. I remember years and years and years ago, I started this habit of just getting up, and the first thing every morning, I, I, I just, I don't look at my phone, I don't, any of that, I just sit, I grab a cup of coffee, I do that first, and I sit down, <laughs> and, and I just open God's Word, and I just spend the first part of my day just letting my mind be immersed in His Word. It's just a habit, shapes you. Prayer, maybe it's just starting every day, God, I'm just going to begin to pray and to seek God in prayer. What one habit in your private life, if you incorporate it, would make the dream possible? Um, Trent, you guys, as, as the worship team um, makes their way back up here, I'll close uh, with this. Um, a few, several years ago now, I had the opportunity to officiate my cousin's wedding. So like, I was the pastor who actually you know, officiated the ceremony for my cousin's uh, wedding to, to his wonderful, incredible, beautiful wife. And so the wedding went really, really well, and so we were at the reception afterward. And so, you know, at the reception, it's her side of the family, but it's a ton of my family. It's like all my extended family. And so, um, we're, you know, we had a great meal. There were drinks and everything. And then now we're, everybody's like out on the dance floor, right? The DJ's there. And so the DJ uh, does the thing. If you've been to a wedding, I promise you've seen this, right? Everybody's probably seen this at least once at a wedding. The DJ goes, okay, for this next song, I want just the married couples out on the dance floor, Right, so everybody else sits down. It's just the married couples. All the married couples in the room go out on the dance floor. So I grab Carrie's hand, my wife, and we go out on the dance floor. And you know how you know how this goes, right? Like one minute into the song, the DJ says, "Okay," over the music. He's like, "Everybody who's been married five years or less, go sit down." And I'm not kidding you. Like half the room like went over and sat down. There's a lot of um, uh, divorce in my family extended. There's a lot of broken marriages remarriages. There's just some really painful stuff in my family. So literally like half the room just goes and sits down. The, the song keeps going. A minute or so later, the DJ says, okay, I want everybody married 10 years or less. You've seen this, right? Go sit down. And another huge exodus of people goes and sits down. Then he goes 15 years or less, 20 years or less. More and more people are sitting down, 25 years or less. And, and Carrie and I, we go and we sit down and we look as we get over to the edge. There is one couple, one couple left standing on the dance floor, dancing with each other. And the DJ just keeps going, 30 years, 30, 35 years, 40 years, 
45 years was my parents. And I, I'll never forget just standing on the side. All eyes are just watching my parents dancing in the middle of the room. And I had tears in my eyes. It was such a profound moment for me because in the home I grew up in, I knew it wasn't always like that. Um, my testimony, our testimony as a family is my parents' marriage almost ended when I was about 11 or 12 years old. And what happened is Jesus intersected in a beautiful way our family uh, story. And I got a front row seat in the private moments, not in the public moments like this was. In the private moments, I got a front, so, front row seat to watching my parents be transformed by Christ. And they began to honor God in their individual lives. They began to honor each other as they should. And God began to change their entire relationship. It changed our, my relationship with my dad. It changed everything in our family. I stood there squeezing my wife's hand in my prayer in that moment was, God, would you allow us someday to be the last people on the dance floor? And I realized in that moment, and the incredible legacy, the incredible gift my parents had given to me and my brother and my sister, a life of honor is not built in the spotlight in a second. It's built slowly in obscurity as we yield ourselves to God, as we allow him to transform our lives, as we allow, allow him to work in our lives. I'll tell you, my race uh, as a husband and as a father has not always been admirable. It certainly has not been perfect. But the thing I can commit to today and I commit every single day is that I am determined to finish it. And you can do that too. No matter what your race has been like, no matter what mistakes have been in your past, no matter what you find yourself in in 2023 at the beginning of the year, you can commit today, Jesus, today I commit, I'm going to finish the race. I'm going to keep the faith. Who knows what purposes God wants to bring about in your life, but you got to let him do it. Do you pray with me? Jesus, we come to you now recognizing that you are the author of our individual stories. Um, the enemy does not get to have the last word. Humans do not get to have the last word. Circumstances do not get to have the last word. Cancer does not get to have the last word. You get to have the last word. We are yours. You are with us. You're still with us. And so today... We just invite you to do your work, what only you can do in our lives as we look to you, as we seek you. God, we want that life that's built slowly in obscurity. We want to be the last people on the dance floor. We want to be the kind of people that, that live the kind of life that when it's all said and done, the private moments, the moments that maybe only you saw are, are the moments that will matter for eternity. So help us, God, to live into that, to build that kind of life we need to give up a habit, if we need to add a habit, if we need to confess something, if we need to lean into a community because we know we can't do it alone, whatever we need to do, God, today we just say, we're going to do it. We're determined to finish our race. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody said.